0: Hello, and welcome to the Celebrating Women in Psychedelics podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the important work being done by women in psychedelics. I am your host, Sonia Stringer, and I'll be introducing you to women leading psychedelic businesses, women shaping governance and policy female therapists and doctors, indigenous leaders, researchers, practitioners, women leading nonprofits and others who are making very important contributions to the psychedelic renaissance. Through our podcast and online community, we're committed to ensuring women have a strong voice in shaping the future of psychedelics. And we're very excited to have you on this journey with us. With all the media coverage these days focused on the benefits of psychedelic assisted therapy, there's also been a sharp increase in the numbers of people interested in creating a career for themselves in the emerging psychedelic marketplace. My guests today have done just that. Both have parlayed more traditional business experience and skills into an exciting career opportunity in psychedelics. And in this episode, they'll share exactly how they did it. We're going to cover the various types of careers and job opportunities opening up in the psychedelic sector, why female talent is so needed and wanted in this space. The best ways to network and make helpful connections in the psychedelic community, and the specific steps you can take starting today to transfer your existing skills and expertise into a fulfilling and lucrative career in psychedelic medicine. By the end of this interview, I'm confident you'll feel inspired about new possibilities and know what steps to take to create rewarding work for yourself within this exciting and emerging new sector. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Celebrating Women in Psychedelics. I am your host, Sonia Stringer, and the title of today's show is How Women Can Create a Thriving Career in the Emerging Field of Psychedelic Medicine. And joining me today are two inspiring women who are doing just that, Victoria Decker is an award-winning Canadian journalist, communications and public relations strategist with over 15 years experience in North American media and brand communications, specializing in global cannabis and psychedelic industries, consumer brands, and culture. She's also a strong supporter of access to psychedelics, cognitive liberty, love that Victoria, and seeing an end to the war on drugs, and is currently director of corporate communications with psychedelics today. And Alexa Jesse is a San Francisco-based entrepreneur with a dynamic career spanning over a decade. As a consultant, journalist, and artist, Alexa has carved out a unique niche in the emerging cannabis and psychedelic industries. Her core work focuses on developing sales and content marketing strategies for conscious brands, helping them to achieve their business goals while staying true to their values and mission. And she is currently director of sales and strategic partnerships also with Psychedelics Today. And of course, many of you listening likely know about psychedelics today. If not, it is known as the planetary hub for individuals, practitioners, and professionals exploring psychedelics. They publish a fantastic podcast and blog. They host numerous live events and conferences, and they also offer several great training programs related to psychedelic work. Welcome to the show, both of you. I'm thrilled to have you here, and I'm thrilled to dive into this important topic.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much, Sonia. It's great to be here.
0: As we start, I thought I would kick off with a few stats that are quite relevant to our topic today. Obviously, the field of psychedelic therapy and psychedelic medicine is growing very quickly. According to PR Newswire, the psychedelic healthcare market is currently valued at 650 million US dollars, and estimates believe that could grow to a value of over 10 billion by 2027. However, there is a huge gender gap already showing in this market. According to Lucid News, over 68% of speakers at psychedelic conferences are male, 90% of those are Caucasian. And through my research, we found that out of 45 publicly traded companies, women hold only 19% of C-level or executive leadership positions. Now, by sharing the stats, I'm in no way trying to discount the contributions that men have made to the psychedelic sector. But just to point out that there's a huge opportunity and really a need for women to come in and create careers in the psychedelic space. And you've both told me that you've been approached quite frequently by women and probably men who want to create a position or a career for themselves in this marketplace. And they're very curious how the two of you have done it. So why don't we start there? Victoria, would you kick us off? Would you share a little bit more about your professional background and what led you to your current work today with Psychedelics Today?
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So thank you so much for that really thoughtful introduction, Sonia. To elaborate just a little bit here at Psychedelics Today, my role really touches on a lot of different areas of the business, as you mentioned, and just to elaborate a little bit on P.T., We are a global psychedelic media and education platform. We have got an annual audience of over 2.2 million individuals. We've trained over 12,000 people so far, and we produce a three times weekly podcast that's now been downloaded over four and a half million times last I checked. So we're very, very busy. We also do events, articles, webinars, and a lot more. So a lot on the go. And I'm really fortunate to be involved in most of it. But to rewind a little bit to how I ended up here and feel free to give me the red blinking light if I go too (laughs) long, it's a bit of a journey, but I've been using psychedelics for over 25 years now. I started consuming substances at a really young age. I started using cannabis the summer before grade eight. And by the time I got into high school, I'd experimented with psilocybin and LSD And then I got really into rave culture and music and the after hours scene. So I amassed a lot of experience with altered states of consciousness before adulthood. And I've always been really fascinated by the power of mind altering substances and really perplexed by the drug war and the narrative around it. So Those things have been a through line in my life for a really long time, but from a career perspective, I started my career in journalism. So I went to journalism school and worked for the first half of my career as a reporter and an editor for mainstream media properties here in Canada. I worked all manner of beats from crime and punishment to travel to arts and culture. And I was fortunate to be able to chat with a lot of different fascinating people, travel a lot and tell a lot of really interesting stories. And then in 2012, I suffered a massive trauma following the death of my first child, my daughter, who passed away the day that she was born. I then had another severely premature baby a year later, my son Peter, who is remarkable and who is still with us today. And then a few years later, I was struggling with grief and depression and it all started mounting in, you know, really big way and I got a medical cannabis prescription and started using cannabis really mindfully to help me deal with my PTSD and reproductive illness. I also have endometriosis. And so I started learning a lot about plant medicine and became really attuned to the healing potential of cannabis and became really fascinated with this plant. And so I shifted my career then and started writing about cannabis exclusively. I stopped, you know, all other media work and just dove right into the cannabis media world. And so around the same time, it was 2015 when our current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, was campaigning and he was promising to legalize cannabis. If he got elected, Sonia, you may remember. And so I decided that I really wanted to be part of this shift in history and decided to jump completely into cannabis. And I wanted to work on the consumer and medical side. And I knew that to do that, I would need to sharpen my skills a little bit. So I went to business school. And so I was in class during the day, studying marketing and working at nights, writing about cannabis, getting to know people in the industry. Getting to know different consumer brands in the US, medical brands here in Canada. And then when I graduated, I went to work for a major licensed medical producer where I stayed leading the communications program and working in the marketing team for three and a half years before, during, and after full federal legalization. So it was a lot that happened in a really short period of time. Then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I kind of cracked like a lot of other people did around the same time. I hadn't really ever resolved trauma that was connected with my daughter and I was getting a lot worse and not better. And so I started researching psychedelics, which were something I was very familiar with at a consumption level, but psychedelic therapy was something I was not very familiar with. I started researching and reading all of these stories about people who had found a lot of healing through MDMA. And then I found a therapist through the maps directory who would work with me. And then over a handful of intentional MDMA sessions and integration, I got to the point where I felt healed. And it really blew me away that after eight years of intense suffering, I thought I would never be able to get away from. I found peace. And the thing that blew me away more than anything was that the answers were inside of me, that they came from my mind and my heart with the amplification of this medicine and, you know, some great support in a great container. And so I was floored by how much it changed me in such a short time. And I just wanted to be part of this movement and ultimately help others find the same kind of freedom. So I left cannabis and took a role as the head of growth for a UK-based B2B psychedelics intelligence agency. And then at the end of 2021, I began working with psychedelics today to help them launch the then new 12-month vital practitioner training program. And it was something that seemed really, really important to me to get involved with because if I had never found a psychedelic informed practitioner to help me, I don't know where my life would have ended up. So this was something that I wanted to be a part of and I felt was really aligned with my own personal mission. And even though today my role at PT extends far beyond vital, I'm loving every minute of it and feel really grateful to be able to talk to people and to connect with you and your audience and, and help tell my story. Wow. Thank
0: you so much for sharing all those points. It's always so fascinating to hear the background and the evolution of how people end up in this space. And it's not uncommon for them to have had some kind of either recreational experience with cannabis or psychedelics. Sounds like you were way ahead of your time and probably one of the coolest kids in high school at the time. And I'm sorry you know, to hear about the loss of your daughter, but thank also you. yeah, really encouraged and inspired to know that psychedelic therapy helped you heal through that to a certain degree. And yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. So thank you. It's a pleasure. And Alexa, how about yourself? You've got an amazing set of skills and no doubt are putting those to great use with psychedelics today. How did that journey evolve for you?
2: It's definitely a journey. And thank you, Victoria, for sharing. Cause it reminds me that many of us, like you said, Sonia, get here from trauma and yeah for me in a lot of ways. So, you know, interestingly, I grew up in New York in a very open home. My parents were hippies in the 70s and they consumed cannabis. You know, when I was 18, I was I became privy to that that they were cannabis consumers and on my 18th birthday, smoked a joint with my dad <laughs> and you know, I just always lived in a very like safe space where we could talk about Use and if I was drinking, my parents were like, just tell us and we'll pick you up. Like, do not get in the car. And so I really always appreciated that I could be honest with my parents. I never really felt like I had to hide anything. But with that, my dad was always sharing like smoke weed, drink in moderation, and you know, some of the harder drugs stay away from cocaine. And I actually have never done cocaine because of that. And so I kind of always felt safe to experiment, never really overdid it. I mean, I drank a lot in college, <laughs> like most of us, but I went to Penn State and studied Communications with a focus on marketing. And I was very passionate about sports at the time. I was an athlete my whole life. And I had a couple of jobs in the industry. I worked for ESPN and I worked for the New York Mets. And when I was working for the New York Mets, I was in their PR department and I was an intern and bottom of the barrel, like first one there, last one to leave. And it was exhausting. There's over 100 baseball games in a season. I was really burnt out. I was very unhealthy. I was drinking coffee like all day long. And during that time, a friend actually shared a documentary with me about veganism. And like overnight, I just completely changed my lifestyle. And with that, as I like just started consuming more plants in my body, I just started to detox and in my mind too, as career, like had my dream job. And I was just like, this is so wrong. And veganism was the catalyst for me. And you know, the universe works in really beautiful ways when you're receptive, I finally felt like I wanted to change and ended up getting an opportunity to move to the Hamptons. Actually, I was living in New York City at the time to work for a company called MindBody their wellness company, a tech company for yoga studios and fitness studios. And I took a leap of faith and I like jumped into sales, which I hadn't had any experience with. And within two years, I was the top sales rep out of over 150 salespeople. I was the youngest person on the president's club trip. And the reason why I was so successful is because I was so passionate about the work. I was talking to yoga teachers every day and helping them to build a business. They didn't know how to do that in our software. It was really helpful. It was a really amazing tool for people who weren't skilled on that level but we're doing really great work and I ended up moving out to San Francisco and working remotely and 3 weeks after I moved here my best friend passed away 27 years old and just completely shook my whole world cuz you know I had picked up moved to San Francisco I didn't know anyone I had broken up with a boyfriend and then my friend passed away I was just a mess I really was such a loss and you know, through that year of grieving, I decided I wanted to quit my job. I just need to take a break. I need to travel. I just changed my perspective on life. And I actually found a retreat in Guatemala and it was an incredible shamanic retreat. I spent three and a half weeks in Central America the first week just kind of like chilling on the beach and then the second week and an intensive retreat with many plant ceremonies, cacao ceremonies, that Shipibo ceremony and culture. And it was incredible. I mean, I could go on an episode about that trip. And what was really fascinating is like Victoria said, I woke up the day after my ceremony and was, oh, I'm not grieving anymore. All of a sudden a veil had been lifted and I just felt this weight and I let her go and like she let me go. And it was really incredible. My girlfriend, Brittany, who passed and- What's wild is I came home and met my husband within two weeks. So then three months later, we were at a music festival, lightning in a bottle, and we left and got into a car accident on the way home. And I shattered my pelvis, broke my spine. I was in the hospital for six weeks and I almost died. I had internal bleeding and it was really awful. (laughs) And through that time... I actually had a friend in the hospital bring me edibles and it provided me more relief than morphine, seriously, emotionally, mentally, physically. And that was really the beginning of my career in cannabis, I would say, because as I got home from the hospital, I just knew I wanted to be off the harsh meds. They're gnarly. My stomach was a mess. I just was depressed. And it took me six to eight months, I want to say, to wean off all the meds. But I still use cannabis to this day to manage pain. I dove deep into the education. So I started taking capsules and tinctures and patches, which are probably the most underrated cannabis product on the market. I use them all the time to travel. They're so incredible. I was on disability for a year and a half. And as I was starting to get ready to work again, and I went to this event that was a bunch of women on a panel speaking about cannabis. And I realized as they were talking, I just had this epiphany of you need to do this. You need to help other women. You need to teach people And really destigmatized more than anything. And so I just started putting feelers out to my network, got connected to a dispensary. And it was right when Prop 215 passed in California in 2018. I ended up creating a position for myself. They were looking for bud tenders. I'll bud tend, but I have a marketing, you know, I have a background that I think you could really utilize and I'm really proud of myself for that. And that, you know, something we can talk more about, like creating space for yourself. And I was there for two years, and then through the pandemic got let go actually, and went through some more family trauma as well. But during that time, really dove into consulting and writing. And that's when my journalist career kind of took off. I was writing for clients and also writing for a few publications. And about three years after being in the cannabis industry, I realized I was like writing a lot of articles about cannabis 101. And I just wasn't learning as much anymore. I felt I was a little bit tapped out and also have experienced Incredible, profound healing with psychedelics on a recreational level, and it just felt like the move. And last year on Bicycle Day, I felt this crazy desire to go to this event in San Francisco, the Bicycle Day event. And I hustled; I'm not paying a hundred dollars for a ticket. And I reached out to my cannabis network, actually and ended up getting a like a journalist pass. And I met Joe Moore, the founder of Psychedelics Today, at that event. And we kept in touch for a couple months. And eventually, I want to fill this gap here and I've been here for eight months now. And like Victoria said, we're we're doing a lot of incredible work. And I think we're a startup. So we're all have our hands in all the pots. But I will also say to bring it back to the topic, I met Victoria, you know, my second or third meeting with Joe. And we very much clicked. And I think women, finding other women and sticking together is really powerful. It's been one of my favorite parts about working at PT is working with Victoria and getting to meet other women. And so that's my spiel.
0: Thank you for sharing. And first, you've got a cool dad. That's lovely to hear. (laughs) I I think parents that can support teenagers and young people in exploring substances in a really safe and a responsible way can really help people navigate through that time and become responsible people going forward. So it's lovely to hear that was part of your experience, for sure. I certainly had that too. It was great. It also sounds like you've had a very similar adventure to Victoria, where there were sort of these happy accidents and serendipitous things that happened. And yet here you are, both of you doing work that feels very purposeful, And I'm curious, do you feel any sort of sense of destiny to that? Are you surprised to find yourself doing this work or or does it feel like it was sort of meant to be all along?
2: You mentioned earlier, Victoria, something about like doing work that's aligned. And for me, it's amazing when you start finding these alignments and you say yes to them, it becomes easier to see the opportunities that are on your path. And so I don't know if I, you know, believe in destiny per se, but I do believe that we have experiences and we can choose how to move through them and grow through them. And that there are little hints along the way, and the universe will kind of knock <laughs> knock things into place and into your path to guide you if you can drop into that alignment. And I think there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, plant medicine is one of them meditation for sure. And diet for me, you know, was very huge, just like the energy and the people you surround yourselves with and what you're actually consuming. So yeah, definitely feel like I'm in the right place. Even when it's really hard, it still feels right. And that's what keeps me going. I feel exactly the same way. One thing
1: that I would add as well is that for me, and Alexi, you said it about these like little signs along the way, For me, like my career path has always been very intentional. When I started my career, I didn't say one day I'm going to, you know, work in psychedelic media and education. I didn't know that was ever a thing that I could do. But when the universe presented me with some golden threads, I pulled on them, right? And I think that's how, you know, a lot of people find their way, the paths that are very prescriptive and often not being the ones that are ultimately fulfilling. So yeah, I chase the things that I thought would bring me fulfillment. That's great. trusting your
0: intuition. Huge. And Victoria, you mentioned that cannabis obviously is legal here in Canada, has been for a number of years, and there are several states now that are following suit. And many people are very happy about the legalization of cannabis. Some people obviously are concerned about how that industry has evolved and how that play out in the psychedelic space. And the two of you have got such great perspectives because you've been both very involved in cannabis and now in the psychedelics. I'm curious, what parallels do you see and how might the psychedelic space be different than what happened in cannabis?
1: Yeah, there are a few things. I'll speak to the differences first, and then I'll talk about the similarities. But the first thing that comes to mind for me, and I thought about this a little bit, The cannabis space in Canada has become very consumer-centric, post-rec legalization. And the big cannabis company that I cut my teeth with started as a medical company with tens of thousands of patients. And now they're entirely rec-focused and they closed their medical business last year. So I think that kind of thing is really sad. And I feel like patients in Canada are... Really, getting left behind in a lot of ways now. Psychedelics are far more focused on healing as an industry. And we're really focused at psychedelics today on the healing of the world. So it's really motivating being in psychedelics as an industry. It's really motivating where I was starting to lose a lot of that in cannabis, the farther and farther we got into rec legalization. I would say also that there's far more medical research occurring in psychedelics. Cannabis has really seem to get its due support on the research side. and it's certainly never been as curiously studied for its medical benefits or considered in that way by government. It seems like governments are a lot warmer to the medical and like psychiatric potential of psychedelics than they were with cannabis. When medical access to cannabis was granted in Canada, the government really just conceded, right? It was part of a charter challenge and the government said, "Okay, so legally, like we have to let people access it. So it's between patients and their doctors and we'll put some tightly controlled measures in place for safety and we'll control the distribution and we'll tightly regulate the production of it. But the government really never leaned into medical research and the medical potential of cannabis. It feels like they just sort of let it happen because there was no other choice, which is really sad because it's a remarkable plant with really powerful healing properties. So psychedelics are quite a bit different in that way. And just from like a marketing perspective, the restrictions are night and day. In Canada, especially, there's a lot that you can't say publicly around cannabis. So that's really frustrating as a marketer and a person in communication but it seems like psychedelics are still very much in this place where you can say a lot more, probably because they aren't regulated in the same way yet. And the government hasn't you know, come in and censored fully what people can say for now. So there's a lot more freedom. And on the similarity sides, I think as an industry... I see a lot of opportunism on both sides. And I've met a lot of really bad actors, more in cannabis than in psychedelics. But I've met people who are just clearly like bandwagoning in both sectors just to make a quick buck or to attach their name to a cause that's receiving a lot of public attention. And we see a lot of these like all of a sudden experts who pop up and just kind of show up on social media or in traditional media talking about cannabis or psychedelics in a way that's really irresponsible in some ways or just repeating some things they've heard other people say. And so I see people doing that same kind of thing on both sides of the fence. So we are really careful at psychedelics today to vet people before we give them a platform. And I guess the last thing that I would say on like a positive note, the two industries are very similar in passion and advocacy. A lot of the folks that are at the forefront of this movement and have been for a long time are willing to risk their freedom and put a lot on the line to participate in that civil disobedience that's so necessary to bring about political reform. That's something I see in psychedelics and in cannabis. So that's something that really inspiring and gives me a lot of hope.
0: I agree. The opportunism that I've seen in the psychedelic space is concerning at times. And I know with cannabis, there was such an influx of investor money And just the way the regulations were shaped in Canada, it really did allow for certain organizations to dominate that space and forced out a lot of smaller organizations from participating. And I know that there's a lot of concern potentially about that also happening here in psychedelics, but I also see a lot of people really doing great work to ensure that there is a lot of equal access and diversity in the space. I hope that continues and that as things open up here in Canada and in other places in the world that it will be a much more equal and diverse space for people too. Yeah, yeah me too. Alexa, how about you? Any concerns you see or, or even positive things between cannabis and psychedelics?
2: You know, one thing that was interesting to me making that transition is it feels like the cannabis industry has been regulated longer. So it feels massive, like in terms of the people that are involved with it. And so I've found there's a lot of micro communities that are really incredible, even just in the Bay Area in California really found some incredible women. And it's a very supportive and you can find a safe space to like vet people and all that. And What's different, I feel, because the psychedelic industry is newer, it's almost more spread out. It's this, you know, international boom right now. And I haven't found as much of like the local communities, or at least not yet. It's new and maybe they're just still being created. But that's just one thing I've noticed that the communities are different and there's a lot more legacy in cannabis. And there's a lot of new companies and companies that are adding psychedelics to their repertoire. And so it's just interesting to see those differences, pros and cons, you know, of both. And then the biggest thing I think that they have in common, in my opinion, is the need for education being like the number one most important focus, in my opinion, and what, you know, I know Victoria and I are so passionate about is education to destigmatize and normalize this medicine. We just need to break these barriers. It's just ridiculous. These medicines are safer than most things that people are using on a daily basis. Joe actually just posted something about like Tylenol being the number one cause of liver disease. And I used to take Tylenol daily for Headaches and also was drinking coffee 12 hours a day, you know, like not putting these things together. So, yeah, I think education, which is exciting. And that's what Psychedelics Today is all about, which is what was so exciting to me when I got introduced to the platform. It's like, wow, there's this microphone tapping into 200,000 ears a month just on the podcast. I mean, that's a lot of people that we can influence. And I think. One of my goals with the company is how do we expand to new audiences that maybe aren't interested in psychedelics yet because they don't even know it exists. And some of them are cannabis users, but some aren't either and don't even know that like microdosing CBD is a real thing and it doesn't have any sort of real psychoactive impact. So education is my probably favorite part about the work. That's
0: great. And psychedelics today does a phenomenal job at that. You're both in the perfect place to do that work. No doubt. So it's interesting to hear that you've both had fairly transformational personal experiences with psychedelics. And I think for people who end up doing work in this space, that is often part of the story is they've had a really big healing or something really positive come from a psychedelic experience. And they're just sort of naturally attracted to the work and want to contribute in this space. And like you said, I think a lot of people are learning about it and just see that it's a fresh and innovative and potentially really important sector that's evolving and they want to get involved. So. I'm curious for your perspectives on this, if there are women or men listening who are excited about developing a career and don't really know where to start. What do you see as the opportunities in the psychedelic renaissance and what kind of skills do people naturally have right now that they could parlay into some kind of career here in psychedelics?
1: Yeah, there's so many different directions we could go there. But what I would say off the cuff is that there are a ton of skills that are transferable into psychedelics because it is a growing industry and an industry has a lot of moving parts. It's not just one thing, you know, to bring a whole industry online and bring new products to market and bring new therapies out into the world. So I would say obviously legal and regulatory, science and research, absolutely project management skills are huge. And as we move toward production, people with strong logistical skills who know how to bring products to market will be extremely valuable. And even people from other highly regulated spaces like pharma or tobacco or cannabis, or even food production, they'll be sought after as drugs begin to get scaled and produced to GMP standards. So there's a lot there, a lot coming. But right now, like media, communications, marketing, and IR folks are really high in demand and educators... And those are some of the disciplines that we work with more often than not. But moreover, healing disciplines are highly transferable into into psychedelics. And it's something that we've been talking a lot about lately and hearing a lot about is this concept of this coming practitioner bottleneck. It's this term that's getting tossed out with a little bit more frequency as the urgency for psychedelic informed practitioners rises. As our governments look to adopt these legal frameworks that necessitate supervision of a therapist to take psychedelics with what's likely going to occur in the U.S. with the regulation of MDMA to start, there is going to be an overwhelming demand for psychedelic practitioners within the next five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years that's going to create a big deficit in the supply of trained personnel to support these people who want to take psychedelics. So even today, there's a really scary shortage of mental health professionals, period, in North America. If you don't have a therapist, try to find one it's very challenging. Finding a sound healthcare professional without a wait list is near impossible in Canada. I'm not sure what it's like down there, but there is a real mental health crisis around the world right now. And so the estimates are that we're going to need tens of thousands of psychedelic informed practitioners when these drugs do come to market. So the time for education is now, it's not five years from now, it is now. So If people are looking to get in the space, education is something that's really crucial. And it's something that we as a company are seeing a really big demand for. And the demand is rising over time. PT launched in 2016, and it was really catering at the time to a really niche audience of a few thousand seasoned psychonauts. But today we talk to millions of people annually. We've trained over 12,000 people. Our student population includes psychiatrists, MDs, psychologists, but also yoga instructors, folks who have media training, nutritionists, people with different types of holistic disciplines that are trying to amplify their practices. And the fact of the matter is the folks that come from more rigid, you know, clinical paths, like an MD or like a psychiatrist, whom aren't traditionally given psychedelic training, those folks are coming to us because their patients have begun to demand this type of treatment and they want to be able to serve them. So we're doing what we can as a company to help these people and prepare for the future. So I would say if you're looking to get into the space right now, education is number one. Yeah. I was involved in delivering a program in the U S
0: not long ago. And we asked the participants, how many of them had patients or clients asking and over 85% confirm that. So no doubt, huge need for mental health support in general, especially post-pandemic. And then of course, as these and therapies become available, there's just this massive opportunity presenting itself. And I love what you said too. There's those obvious positions in terms of therapy work, psychiatry, but then there's all these sort of ancillary organizations that will grow to support that work as well. So I do see people who've got maybe non-traditional skills in terms of psychedelics, finding their way into this space who are really good at PR communications or sales and marketing like you, Alexa, or might want to get into some kind of more traditional company and do legal work or accounting or administrative work. There really is just so much opening up in the space that I think people that are really serious about it with a little bit of time and networking could definitely find a place for themselves here. And Alexa, how about you? Like with your sales and marketing background, people might not necessarily see that as the natural way to get into the psychedelic space, but what else do you see possible there? What other skills do you think are needed here?
2: Yeah, I mean, sales and marketing is huge, specifically sales. In cannabis and it's more CPG focused now, but there are so many brands that I'm talking to daily that are like functional mushroom companies that in the background, they're not making functional mushrooms. They're making psilocybin capsules and they're creating these products. And I think to your point, Victoria, earlier about like civil disobedience, I think it's the same thing with practitioners. The underground market is thriving and I'm for it. (laughs) People are making a lot of money so that they can also offer services to those who can't afford it. I'm in all these groups and people are like, do you know of a Practitioner in this area, in this area, people are looking for this medicine work. And so, legally, yes, maybe it will take five years to have a real job at a clinic. I don't even think it will take that long, but there are jobs available now. So, that's what's really exciting for any, I think, skill set. And I think also being open to learning and evolving your skill set and potentially starting at a lower level than maybe you are now just to get experience and build your portfolio. I'm a big multitasker, but you know, if you're someone working full-time and you're not really fulfilled with your work, start freelancing, get on Upwork, just see how you can build your portfolio, reach out to companies like ours, like other companies that you might be really excited by and aligned with and offer to write an article for free. I'm usually not a proponent of free work, but I think when you're trying to build a portfolio and you don't have that experience, just see how you can get it. And just showing up. Networking is huge. Talking to your people. And I think what's so exciting about this industry is it is meaningful and purposeful. Even though we might work the same hours a week, it doesn't feel the same. Some days are hard. And some days it's like, wow, like you hear one story of someone who was life was changed. And you hear stories like Victoria's and mine every day, every episode, pretty much of our show. I mean, they're endless. And so I think if you're called to it, listen to that, just do some digging, do some inner work, work with the medicine yourself and like see what the guidance is. I think it's really limitless. I believe that. It's great.
0: So I'm curious, obviously we're all strong advocates for women and women working in this space, and there's a real obvious gap there that we'd all like to fill. Why do you both personally feel women could and should get more involved in the psychedelic space since you've navigated this path fairly successfully to date? What do you see possible here for other women?
1: Yeah. So to answer your first question, why do we need more women? We get shit done. (laughs) We We do. We do. We do. We do. Alex was always saying that about the two of us ever since we first met. She looked at me, she was like, You and me, we're going to get some shit done. And I was like, Yeah, we are. We do. You know? So I think that transfers to most women. We can really bring about a lot of like structure into chaos. We know how to mobilize teams. And I just don't think we do the same kind of like grandstanding in corporate environments. Not to say that PT is a corporate environment, but there are corporate environments in psychedelics. So yeah, I just feel like our egos don't get in the way as much in the workplace as they seem to with men. And I might get a little flack for saying that, but that's what I think. Organizations, especially startups in that regard, Really need strong willed and motivated people, and women can really do that. So that's what I would say on the why. And if I had to like throw out a couple of suggestions around how we support women and how women can empower themselves to get into this space again, I think education and research are really key. So if you're a woman and you want to get involved in this space that you know nothing about, but you're watching with a lot of interest, get familiar with it get a lay of the land, find out who the nonprofits are, who are the leading research institutions, who are the for-profits, who are the biotechs, who are the media companies, who are the training institutions, what are the rules, where are the laws evolving? Just really dive into it. And there's so much information that's available. LinkedIn is a really good resource our site is a really good resource. There are some other really great media companies out there too. So yeah, do some of your own research. And again, we see a ton of opportunities for people who are self-starters and who take the initiative to Alexis point to get involved in the space, even if they're not doing it by taking a job right away, right? There's other ways to build experience. And even in the short time that I've been here, I've been at PT for just over a year. We've recruited some folks and posted some jobs in the time that I've been here. Most of our people come To us by referrals, and most of our people come and jobs are created when they arrive, but we have recruited a few. And people that have either psychedelic training, volunteer work, or previous experience get rocketed to the top of the list because it shows us that they have some psychedelic literacy. And so that alignment and that awareness is really crucial to us as a psychedelic company, finding people whose values align with our own who can come into our world and don't need that really extensive onboarding about like what are psychedelics where are you like what's even going on here this is a very complex place to be in it's not like we're selling tires i don't know how complicated tires are but like you know there's a, there's a lot to what's going on in psychedelics the regulations the history the substances the chemistry cultivation therapy all of it and you know the list goes on and on and you can never you know, conceivably know it all or go into any job knowing it all, but you can learn a little bit. Right. And so that education and that experience really gives people a professional leap and a leg up into the space and makes them way more attractive to recruiters. yes, I would say, just like Alexa mentioned, find some way to get a little bit of relevance, experience or knowledge. And I would also say just on a more kind of like conceptual level, being brave and purpose-driven is really important. You take a calculated risk. Anyone takes a calculated risk by entering this space, but women especially, because there's a lot of room for judgment and there is still a lot of stigma out there. A lot of these substances are still illegal in many jurisdictions and the old ideas about the nature of psychedelics and the people who use them are still really prevalent in a lot of circles. And so I would say, if you're looking at getting into the space, ask yourself about the level of personal and professional risk you're willing to assume, and then be brave. If you really do want to be here and you're mission-driven, Perhaps none of that will matter to you. None of it mattered to me, but I could see how it could if I gave more of a shit about what people thought. But yeah, really look at your environment, look at your circles, look at what you want your future to look like. And just ask yourself, you know, if you could see yourself doing this confidently and go forward with no reservations.
0: Wow. Great input. Great advice. Thank you. Alexa, anything you'd add there?
2: Yeah, it's funny. Women are incredible leaders. We need more women leading. A lot of the problems, I think, in corporate America and capitalism and just society as a whole are because not enough women are leading. And I think um, we're incredible collaborators. We can take criticism well and are willing to grow. And I also wrote, working with V, we get shit done. (laughs) Like we just do. And I think there's a vulnerability that women are willing to share with each other through a process of like, I don't know how to do this, or I'm struggling, like help. (laughs) And we do, we help each other. And I think also, like there's a compassion for the team that was really important to hold. Women are just more compassionate by nature. And I just think it's really important for us to use our voices and lift each other up. That is the most important thing because it's easy to feel like that woman is like, she's already doing it. Or, you know, it's like, we all have a network of people who are not exposed to this work. And so any voice we can lift up, any person we can educate that they can then educate their people and women who are looking up to them. It's really important. It really is a domino effect that we can have. And that's what I've loved about the cannabis industry is that the women are so supportive of each other because we're not going to get there alone. I mean, one thing that like hasn't really come up yet, but is like investing in yourself as you're reflecting on what it is that you want and your goals and your passions. I had worked with a business coach for six months that didn't get me where I wanted to be, but I learned so much about what I didn't want. To do, I paid two hundred dollars to speak with this other business coach for an hour, and she was like, "You are not charging enough money." From that conversation, like doubled what I was asking for clients, and got no slack. And so, I really am just a huge hit of like women asking for more. And if we all ask for more, we don't get lowballed because we just have to advocate for ourselves and for each other. And I think that's the biggest way that women can rise. And so Victoria and I were very busy. We wish we could talk to women one-on-one and it's really great to have this, you know, space to share this because I think that's my biggest advice to women is like if you're not being valued, that doesn't mean you're not valuable and you need to find a place where you're valued. Wow, I
0: realize as we're talking, we could probably go on for an hour and just dive deeper and deeper into this question. And I've always been such a fan of women in leadership positions too and I totally concur. Especially through the podcast, having interviewed some of the women I have just in the last few episodes and expanding my own network, I am absolutely floored at the amount of talent that women possess in the psychedelic sector. And I'm puzzled too that more aren't in leadership positions or, like you're saying, Alexa, perhaps aren't getting paid what they're worth. And I think there's just this huge opportunity for all of us to really step into our power and ask for what we're worth and really trust ourselves and be better networked and get access to resources. Before I got involved in this work, I was doing a lot of work in the corporate space. That idea of an old boys network is alive and well in the corporate world, but I don't see that happening yet in the psychedelic space. And I think that if women were better networked and knew more about each other's work and were more proactive and collaborative, if we were looking out for each other and referring opportunities and really more united, that it wouldn't take a lot for us to have a lot more say and influence in this space. So that's something I'm hoping to potentially foster through the podcast. And it sounds like it's a big part of your work too as psychedelics today. And on a side note, as part of the podcast, we're hoping to actually launch that. We're looking to launch a free online community that will network together a lot of the women we've interviewed and women involved in various aspects of the psychedelic sector with that core intention to help women get better connected and get access to resources and tools that can really help them develop their careers. So we'll get a bigger announcement out about that soon. But I really appreciate what you shared there. And I just really hope that women find the work and the opportunities they deserve in the space because the talent and the skill is there. I think it's just maybe a little bit more organization on our part and a willingness to take risks. Like you said, Victoria. Can
1: I jump in with something really quickly, Sonia? Yeah, some golden thread that Alexa and you both just shared that I want to pull on a little bit. We're speaking mostly about women who want to get in the space and giving advice women on how to do it. I'd just like to stress that if you are a woman and you have any experience in this space or you're working in this space actively already, and you're in a leadership position, please mentor other women. If women come to you and they're asking if they can work and, you know, pick up jobs or just learn from you or whatever it is, Take a call with them, spend your time with them. If you get asked to give a presentation somewhere, just please do it. I say that as someone who had two very incredible, instrumental female mentors that I don't know where I would have ended up if it were not for them. And I've been fortunate enough to mentor other women and some men too along the way. And it's a reciprocal kind of thing, right? Because it forces you to kind of dust off that which you know about your craft and teach it to someone else you get the joy of seeing them learn and succeed and then pass that along. It's just something that really reverberates. So yeah, I would just say if you're in a position to please give mentorship.
0: I love that idea. Thank you for sharing that. That is absolutely true. And I know I get inquiries through my LinkedIn profile occasionally from women who want to learn about psychedelics and figure out how they can find potential careers here. And I know it's tough. We're all so busy, but I totally agree. If you can just set up a 10-minute call with someone or a 20-minute call and just answer a few questions, make a few introductions, it's just so invaluable for people to be able to learn from you quickly and potentially get referred to other sources. So thanks for mentioning that. That's really true. And speaking of supporting women, I wanted to go back to the program that you mentioned, Vital, because I believe you're about to move into your second year. And I've looked on your website and am just blown away by the rock star roster of teachers and trainers that you've brought together to be part of that program. I've heard wonderful things about it. And I know it's quite unique in that it brings together both licensed individuals in the space, professionals, and also people that aren't licensed. And you also have a wonderful scholarship that's helping women potentially take part in the program. So would you please tell us more about that? And for people that maybe want to support the scholarship, how they could find out more about that?
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, Vital's a really special program. And so we are approaching the end of our first cohort. The program launched last year, and so far we have trained over 100 folks in this really intensive program around psychedelic therapies and integration. Through the program, we work with students and teach them all different kinds of modalities, and we get them ready to incorporate psychedelics into a practice or to amplify their existing practice. So we're really looking forward to graduation of our first cohort of students. They've been on a number number of different retreats through the year made some really strong bonds with each other they've developed their own psychedelic communities and they're ready to go out into the world so we're, we're all very very proud we are steadily enrolling students into our second cohort which kicks off in April the demand has been crazy a lot of folks want to get trained in this type of work so our team on the vital side of the business has been very busy but as you mentioned we have a laser focus on Diversity and equity in the space. And we have this great tuition program that supports BIPOC, LGBTQ folks, veterans, first responders, people with financial constraints, and people that are working with underserved and marginalized communities. And the reason for it is because we really want to broaden access to this type of education. There are programs out there that are similar to ours, but that Have barriers to entry, right? The tuition cost is a bit of a barrier. There are often prerequisite barriers that folks simply can't meet. There are geographic restrictions. So we've really designed Vital in a way that is accessible, and the scholarship program is a big part of that. And a big reason for that is. Because we want the future of this space to be very diverse. We don't believe that the people that should be able to deliver these types of treatments and therapies and this type of support for people should have to have a PhD. We also don't think that they should be in a certain economic class to be able to both work in the space or access it. So we're really trying to create a diverse, network of trained psychedelic informed professionals to go out into the world and work in this way with people who are like them. So yeah, the scholarship program is a big part of that. We gave out $211,000 in tuition scholarships last year. We're on track to do a similar number of scholarships this year. We rely on support from folks in the industry to help us deliver financial relief to students. So we take donations from corporations who have philanthropic dollars to spend and directly apply that to offset the burden of tuition for students. And so if students are interested in getting involved in VITAL, our scholarship applications are still open, I believe, Alexa. I think we cut them off at some point. I think today they're still open. We do have a cutoff before the application cutoff. And if corporations or groups are interested in donating to support the fund, we would gladly welcome a conversation with the donors. We work with them and trade their donation. We do a services trade. So if they're willing to donate to help our students we offer them free services on our media platform. So it's a great give, give type of arrangement, but it's something we're really proud of. There are students in our program who would not have been able to join the program if it weren't for the funding. And we have some students this year already to whom we have given hundred percent scholarships. There's no way they would have been able to do it, but who we know will go out there and will make a lifetime of difference for people. So yeah, it's something that's really important to us.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Very generous of all of you. What would be the best place to send people who either want to find out about the program or potentially apply for a scholarship or even fund the scholarship? Is there a link on the website? We can certainly include it in the liner notes here, but is there anything you wanted to say out loud?
2: Yeah. Vital psychedelic training, Dot com, and you can also get there through the psychedelics today website just vital at the top and i know our team we are doing a vital education series on the podcast so if you want to learn more from the teachers from the students definitely check out you know the psychedelics today podcast and look through to those vital episodes we also do live streams and webinars i know the team is doing a lot of q a's so if you're just curious and want to learn more I would say like, you know, us subscribe to our newsletter to be most informed. You can also email us if you have any questions, just info at psychedelicstoday.com. And yeah, we're definitely all here to support. And then one thing I will say that I've heard from the team in terms of feedback from current students is they really love the diversity of the group. It's actually okay. valuable to the cohort because they're exposed to so many different backgrounds and experiences and professionals from around the world and that they're learning to be therapists or coaches. You know, they can really use this tool For the skills, however they like, but it is healing. Like it is a healing experience for those going through it. So it's not just about career. I think it's really a full like 360 process, you know, for the students. So yeah, really proud of the ones who are graduating and so excited. And we'll definitely share where they go from
0: here. Love it. Thank you so much. Well, that term women to watch certainly applies to the two of you. And I highly encourage people listening to come and find you and follow you on social media, where's the best place to send them? Do you have a LinkedIn profile? Where could we send them to learn more about your work? Yeah, I think the best
1: place would be LinkedIn. It's where I spend a lot of my time. Folks can also connect with me through Psychedelics Today if they're interested in getting a little bit more involved in our world as well. So yeah, feel free to reach out. And my goal every day is inbox zero and I'm getting closer to it. So that's very impressive. Way to go. How about you, Alexa?
2: Yeah, so I'm Alexa Jesse on, you know, all the things. I'm also an artist, I'm a musician. And so I have to plug that I actually am for the first time in many years starting to release new music. So I have a website, alexajesse.com and I'm releasing a music video in a couple of weeks. And that's one thing I actually love about the cannabis and psychedelic space. It is counterculture at its core. And I find that the industry is really receptive to people pursuing their passions. And, you know, there's a lot of other artists in the industry and writers and just visionaries. And so I really appreciate that support. But on the psychedelics today side of things, I'm here supporting brands that want to amplify their voice and message to happen to our audience. So Alexa at psychedelicsday.com. If you know if you want to be on the podcast, if you want to collaborate on an article or any sort of content, definitely reach out.
0: Thank you so much. Well, thank you too, for your enormous contribution to psychedelics through the work you're doing. And I know it's just the beginning. I do look forward to following you and watching you continue to make a big difference. And thank you very, very much for being here today, sharing your stories. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having us, Sonia. This was great. Thanks
0: for tuning in to this episode of Celebrating Women in Psychedelics podcast. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We also have a free online community where you can meet and network with the guests of the podcast, as well as other women involved in psychedelics from around the world. To find out more, go to celebratingwomenpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Thanks so much and see you next time.